We are back. Do we have a winner? We do. We do. Shanif Banji, congratulations. You're going to the Leafs game. Amazing. There you go. Who's lucky caller number five? Going to the Leafs game versus the Vegas Gold Knights tomorrow night. Big test. No William Carlson, apparently. It's going to be out six weeks, broken foot. Someone someone check if Shanif Banji is an anagram for Sam McKee. It sounds possible. Something and Sam will something. meet you at the door. He will escort you into the hot stove yes, uh, where he will buy you a steak. <laughs> How do you like it? Medium rare? I mean, is there any other way? Yeah, I'm coming with you, Shanif. So give me a call after the show. I was joking. Oh, I wasn't. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that poor guy. He's got to listen to you all game. Are you kidding me? That's not a prize. No. That's Sam's punishment. Not Sam's not going. Oh. <laughs> Sam, don't even joke around like that. The guy wants to have a good time. He's heard you on this show. It's nice going with you, Kipper, because you get a nice uh, piece of salmon in the alumni press box. <laughs> That's the way to go to a game if you ever get the chance. I used to take Doug McLean to the games. We didn't make it outside of the restaurant. <laughs> we didn't even make it into the alumni box. To-go boxes. Oh, my gosh. That's the way to go and have some fun. And, and speaking of which, um, you know, we had talked uh, last week a little bit about, you know, the challenges for the Leafs, but we're, we're also seeing something I think that was put out that they're offering a, a, a 20% discount if you buy, I believe, three or more games in the month of November. You ever heard of that in your entire life in Toronto? 20% off Leafs tickets? I'm like, Wow. When did Rolexes go on sale? Has that ever happened? Right. Like, that's unheard of. Great comparison. But kind of gives us a pretty clear picture of where we are in in today's uh, world of business, I guess, of professional sports, whatever you want to call it. COVID, post-COVID, still in COVID, three-quarters of the way through COVID. There's going to be some game this season where, like, I don't know, a fan base gets, like, 4,000 fans or something. Like, it's coming. That's not going to be great. Well, I don't know. Is that close to hell freezing over a little bit? Feels like it. Twenty percent <laughs> off. I told tickets. you when I was in Arizona, you get a couple of tickets with a, a buy a pack of Coke, like a dozen Coke, and they give you a couple of tickets. So you don't want to get there. It's generally not a bright sign for your franchise. Well, we maybe maybe those will go right back up to uh, full value when they string in like five or seven games in a row. All right. Chicago and Detroit's not enough to do it, you don't think? Aaron Ward, you want leaf tickets? You can get 20% off if you buy three in November. I saw that. I was kind of shocked. Um, <laughs> uh, depends. I, I, when I read that, I'm like, oh, oh, good Lord, we've hit a bad place. But uh, <laughs> my understanding is that's all COVID-related. There's enough people that have turned their tickets back in because of concerns. And, and I get it. I mean, it's it's the landscape of where we're at right now. And uh Clearly, we all should take this seriously. But that, that I mean, we used to joke that people in Toronto would kill for those tickets, and now you can, you can get them at a discount. Boy, has the world turned. Yeah. Uh, can we, like, negotiate now with them? Like, can you throw in a hot dog and a beer? <laughs> I don't think so. You know what we feel for is all the aftermarket guys in Toronto having to, having to unload their tickets that are not gouged by a couple, couple hundred bucks extra. Yeah, you know who I mean, we they, feel for? No, not those guys. I don't think that's a common no? sentiment. No. Okay, okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry. So, you know, could it be the way the Leafs play? I, I don't know how – you watch a lot of Leafs, do you not? 
I think you do. I, I do. I do. And, and I'll say this. Um, listen, in, in, in the years past where it was horrendous, you still had a fan base that was very supportive. I don't think – I think you have a, a fan base that's perturbed, but I don't think they've given up on this team. And I don't think to the level where they're going to stop showing up at the games – I think this is, again, uh, a health issue and just uh, people apprehensive. And if your team is, you know, shooting the lights out, then everybody wants to go to the game even in light of the risk. But currently, maybe maybe there's some, some like, consideration for, you know, they're, they're kind of sputtering along here. And, and uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'm watching enough games, and I can look at this Toronto team, and, and I would say, unlike a lot of teams around the National Hockey League, I expect Toronto to get out of this. Uh, like there, there, there are there are reasons that you you can take from the eye test, and there's reasons in the numbers as to why the performance is going this way and why you'd expect it to improve. Okay, so you've got health issues tied into attendance. So what do you have? Uh, what do you have? Uh, blue line issues tied into a 500 team after nine games. I'll say like everybody's paying attention to the to the least blue line, but I'll say this. I mean, I'm going to try and use a very kind of dumbed down example of what I'm talking about. When I played in Boston, I had a pairing, I had, I had a partner, and we used to make a joke about a certain line, and and we knew that when the offensive struggles existed, we call them the drunk uncles. And the reason we call them the drunk <laughs> uncles is you go to the family event. There's always that uncle that was loud. He said the inappropriate thing. And everybody made an excuse for the, for the guy because they would say, well, that's just the way that, 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 that family member is. Here's the thing about forwards. When you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you have this much depth and this much power and in, in over a, a short history with the amount of guys you have right now, you've done so well offensively, right? So last year they shot 9% five on five. This year they're shooting 6.5%. So as a forward, I know that my job is to put the puck in the net. And there's an absolute disconnect between the front end and the back end. I saw it in Chicago when they got down. Like, it's, it's, it's a weird thing when you watch Toronto Maple Leafs. They're a very sensitive group that if they don't get off to the right start in the first 10 minutes, you start to see guys kind of get outside of the plan. They start to d- divert from what should be the way the Toronto Maple Leafs play, and that's go over 60 minutes, own the puck, make the team chase you, and, and wait for your chances. And now in light of the Marners and the Matthews who haven't put up the numbers and, and overall the scoring hasn't happened out front, you start to see these, these chances being taken. And, and in particular, when you have this decor who is struggling to assess exactly what is happening up front, the turnovers occur, there's gaps in, in coverage. You have a Chicago team that's not particularly good that gets a jump on you. You have you have uh, the Detroit team who I think you, in your estimation, come in, you think you should roll them and they get four on you. As a defenseman, that's upsetting. So for Justin Hall, who's a dash seven, is struggling, is scratched, I imagine there's, there's a certain adjustment period to understanding exactly what's going on. Uh, for even a Muslim, who's a dash seven, and, and he's trying to make offensive contributions, it's a struggle defensively for continuity. And continuity involves having your forwards on the exact same page as you are. So... I look at this Toronto Maple Leafs team. I do believe there's going to be improvement. I mean, right now, second in the league in possession. Last year, they were 10th. They're second in expected goals for last year, seventh in expected goals against. This year, they're first in goals for and 23rd in goals against. So 23rd in goals against. You're getting all kinds of chances, but you're giving up a ton too, and that doesn't bode well for a Toronto team that needs to figure out this year in regular season how to play a playoff-style type of game. 
saying that they're successful in in the playoffs uh, different from years past. One of the things that, you know, Kipper talked about off the top of the show was about their style and, you know, the just don't love how the, the D plays and your, your point about connectedness with the forwards is obviously a, a huge element of it, uh, that trust and being within the system. But it just doesn't feel like they have, you know, a, a defensive pair, you know, with Sandine and Lilligren on the back end. Is there anything, you know, when you're watching these games and looking at the numbers, is there anywhere that they're particularly weak compared to the NHL. Like I know what you're saying they're first in the NHL and you know all the offensive categories outside maybe rush chances, you know, are near the top anyway, not first but near the top. Is there anywhere where they really fall behind the NHL um statistically? I, I don't know the numbers defensively. I from 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 watching the decor, I honestly believe that that as and I'm gonna go from the eye test now. So I watched with great intent, the game against Chicago. I felt like there's going to be an evaluation opportunity because I think Chicago was a team to be had. And, and the moment that Chicago got the jump, the, the defense seemingly, what, they're, they're almost, again, I go back to that word sensitive. When they start to, to see a repeated behavior from, from, from the forwards up front, they lack the ability to adjust. They, they lack the ability to understand that, that – you know, the simplest of plays. They still continue to try and create something where it's not there, and that's where the turnovers happen, and that's where the problems happen for this entire team. And I, I, somewhere along the lines, as a group, they have to, they have to contend with, with adversity, specifically their defensive end. And I don't know exactly what it is that, that upsets them, but as a decor, again, you're working with a group of guys that, that aren't exactly, you know, familiar. You're not, you're not laden with, with, six veterans that all should be able to adjust in the fly and do it quickly. Morgan Riley got his contract. Hopefully he feels at peace. Maybe now he takes a different role that, that his, his future is a little more certain that he has kind of a leadership role more so now of trying to get continuity amongst the group. There's always that one defenseman that can take that upon themselves. Uh, in, in my years of success, I mean, it was, it was Glenn Wesley in 2006 uh, back in the day, again, four-letter word, Larry Murphy did a, did a fair amount of talking because of his experience when I was in Detroit on, on trying to get everybody on the same page. So maybe Morgan Riley can can bring the, the younger guys along and get them to a level of confidence that when things start to unravel on the ice, that there's, there's, a, there's I don't know, just they, they, they find a place of peace to, to know that they, they have the ability to do it and, and don't be so reactionary. I watch... Morgan Riley and I like Morgan Riley. Uh, I don't have him as a top defenseman, but I got a, a guy that the Leafs rely on the most on the blue line. Usually you look at uh, the game sheet and there's constantly 25, 26 minutes there. But as I watch him Saturday night and you're going to watch him a lot more because it's 60 million for the next eight years, but I'm not sure you know exactly where he is in terms of, of, it's is it offense is it shut down defense it's sometimes i watched him saturday night and he's he's caught and if you look i think in the last 100 games he might have justin eight goals maybe yeah it's not pouring in in the net by any means it's not and i i just wonder now if there's even now more pressure on on what he thinks he needs to to provide now to to justify or uh, to to prove that he's worth the sixty million dollars. Well, I think the value comes in adaptability of a defenseman, right? Is is hopefully, as you mentioned, like maybe you can spin that 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 
that duality around, right? You Sometimes you don't know if he's more of a, of a shutdown guy, depending on the team, or more of a step-up guy, try and lead offensively. I think that is where you evolve, even in the midway part of your career. I think right now, Toronto has to have, again, to go back to that leadership role, a, a stable guy that can know you're playing. So if you're coming in, I'll pick a team. If, you, if, if you're playing the Montreal Canadiens, you know that they're susceptible and, and, and you're going to get offensive chances. But if, if you come in against the Florida Panthers, maybe Morgan Riley dials it back and, and understands that his, his ability to move in the defensive zone, in the neutral zone, to cut down time and space is going to be more needed in the moment, and he's going to have to let go of some of his offensive aspirations in the game. That's part of the maturity of, of the defenseman. So, yeah, there's a big dollar figure, and I think that is, that is the problem is – now that he signed this contract, the wait-and-see component for any player who signs such a big ticket is to see what type of pressure they put on themselves. It's not necessarily from us, the media. I mean, I can't imagine. Once you start putting that many zeros behind, I, I don't even know how to speak of it. So it's, it's the, type of, the type of moment that he's in now that he's got that stability in his life and knows that he's technically a, a, a leaf lifer. Now what's he going to do with it? And, and don't be overwhelmed by, by, the, by the dollar figures. Just go out and play the game and, and try and help. Again, try and help a decor that sorely needs some, some leadership and some stability. Wardo, I might get uh, kicked off my own show for bringing up process uh, here, but I, I want to ask a little bit about a team whose uh, results have been very different from their process. Like looking around the NHL, is there any team who have had either very good or very bad results and their, their process is kind of the opposite of that? I think that's one thing analytics is supposed to do is suss out these teams where, uh, you know, they, they're not where we expect them to, to be. Does anyone stand out for you in that regard? <laughs> I should have looked up. I, I don't, not, nothing jumps out of me right now. I'm trying to think of a team that, that is shockingly off. Um, was the Leafs for a bit, I think, was it not? Yeah, you know, for me, I got to believe the Islanders somewhat, but I, here's yeah. the thing: I, I don't know about the Islanders. Is I don't know how much this long-term road trip—I mean, the forever road trip—it's like we're on the, the golden path of to, to, to nowhere. I don't know mentally if that if that's what's weighing on them. If if they're kind of got themselves in a in a, in a tough place, so um, I think there's. There's a lot of teams overperforming that I think are going to come back to earth, and there's there's a, a fair amount of teams underperforming. But in terms of correlated numbers, I haven't, I haven't really looked at that yet. I'm, I knowing that I'm coming on Kippers and, and your show, I, I'm I'm more least centric with the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Hey. I, here, here, Kipper, you know this. You know this. I actually love delving into the numbers just to just to irritate uh, PJ Stock because again, I'm not sure if PJ knows how to spell the word analytics. We'll <laughs> Guaranteed. Guaranteed, I think he can get past just the A. <laughs> yeah, I won't suggest a different endpoint. Wardo, just one comment on, on what you just said a few minutes ago, and, and you talked about the adjustments. And while we can speak of guys individually, it really does fall, I, I would imagine now, especially when we're talking about the Leafs, on, on Sheldon Keefe. He's got to make the adjustments, or he's the one that's got to stress to the players making the adjustments. And even a guy like Morgan, who likes to force a little bit of pressure on the opposition because he will join the rush. He will go no problem down below the, uh, the center ice uh, circles. But I don't see a lot of guys stepping up and making it abundantly clear. 
I've I've got you covered. I'm the, the the third guy high, or I will play defense while you're down there. And there's often, man, I see four guys down there, and it it usually in the first two weeks comes back on them. But it, it is it, it it does come back to your coach now stressing that. Would you agree? Yeah, it's it's an identity, right? So. Again, the ultimate goal is not to get to the regular season and put up numbers. I mean, even though it's a joke that's kind of aimed at the Toronto Maple Leafs from every organization around the National Hockey League, the ultimate goal is to get yourself in in playoff form. Uh, And and there's a cohesiveness that comes with success. And with success, it's understanding exactly what the identity of your team. So Sheldon Keith, to, to get his forwards to understand that the third guy high, if, if you ultimately want success, it's far easier to cover three guys in one layer coming into a zone rather than two forwards with, with late support from a defenseman where everybody has to turn their back. And the moment you get your defense to turn your back and, 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 and lose spatial understanding, that's how offense is created. So one of the things I did notice, I have noticed of late in watching the game. So in light of Mitch Marner struggling offensively, I will tell you there's a dedication to exactly what you're talking about. That when he is on the ice, whether it's something he's related to, whether it's his turnover or it's a need for someone to back check or, or cover up, I would say that if he is play, trying or attempting to play a more complete game. I think from, from a group of players, that has to exist. The guy who's doing it best, which I kind of laugh now in, in, his, in his, his stage of his career right now, is Jason Spezza. Like the funniest part is you watch all these games if you're to walk out and say the most consistent guy up front in every zone of this game for the Toronto Maple Leafs has been Spezza consistently across the board. And he's had, he's, he's had an effect. Like, so it's, it's like a, almost a, a, a certainty about playing with him. If I'm a defenseman, I'm looking at the fact that I'm playing with Spezza knowing that the, the, the system will be played. Because because he'll be playing it, there's a, a responsibility cast upon his, his two line mates to play the same way. So I'm comfortable. And it goes back to what you talked about, Morgan Riley. Understanding who you're playing with in the shift. There has to be an awareness, especially at this stage and, and, and the amount you talk about him playing in 25 minutes a game, of understanding shift to shift who you're out there with and knowing honestly what they do. So I'll go back again to the drunk uncle statement I made before. I knew when I was in Boston there was a certain line that contained one guy that might have been a Toronto Maple Leaf and might have landed in Phoenix that I guarantee, I guarantee you that he and the centerman were not likely going to be back in the zone to help us. Now, his left winger, by the name of Marco Sturm, maybe, but, you know, one of three isn't always, uh, it's not comforting. So you always knew you had to lay back a little bit, where if you played with the third or fourth lines in Boston, you always generally knew those guys were strategically responsible all the time because Cole Julian demanded it from those guys. Would your drunk uncle want Spezza to play more? I, listen, my drunk uncle and, and the guy who's on this phone from North Carolina would love to see Jason Spezza play more. Like, listen, the fact that you're putting your best out on your first power play and Spezza comes out there and, and it's seemingly like he's, he's dictating how a power play goes. I mean, if I'm, if I'm bunting, I'm, I'm literally skating around on a power play just trying to find open space because Spezza's going to find you. And, and that's the level at which he's playing right now. He has, Spezza has a level of confidence almost indicative of the, of the way it was when he was in Ottawa. Like, he, he's got young legs. 
young mentality, lots of energy. He's playing with a level of confidence and energy that, that you know, you give a guy an opportunity and he'll show you and he's doing it. What have you made of uh, Austin Matthews' slow start? Like, this is a guy who came out and poured four goals in the first game of the NHL. He's got one through six games, two points. Not exactly what, the, what we expected. Has he looked uh, normal to you? Bad luck? What's it been? Uh, he's getting his opportunities, so you see them, right? And there's a level of frustration after, after he, he, he has those chances. I think it, it comes in due time. Everybody gets to jump, right? It's been a really weird last two seasons. Um, he's out. He's coming back. Guys are tuned up, excited to play. The, the speed of the game, it takes an adjustment. I mean, I can't imagine now how much faster the game is when you're out and injured and having to get up to that level. I mean, 90s, it was, it was not that hard. Guys are still smoking in the intermission. Nowadays, these guys are taking all the supplements and, 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 and gel, gel packs and ready to go and fired up. Um, the speed of the game is, I'm sure, a, a lot harder to get it back to. So I'll give a guy uh, a, a little bit more of a, a, a lenient um, runway right now to get himself back on track. No training camp. He's, he's not, for me, he's not in game shape. Well, that's, that's the truth, right? So it, there's, there's a feel... For, for a scorer, you have to have the feel. The feel doesn't come till you feel right, till your body feels right. Then the, the intangibles of your game kind of fall into place. I don't imagine that he's up to snuff quite yet. It's not to say it's, a, it's not an indictment or a criticism. I mean, it's just a fact that you didn't get the same opportunity everybody else is on, on the ice is having. Here's the thing. If, if I'm an opponent and I know he's still coming back into game shape or, or still getting adjusted to the speed of the game, I'm going to key on really shutting him down because I'm less worried about him burning me be- because he's got that feel in the flow to the game like he's had about, you know, 30 games into a normal season. All right, last one for me, Ward. I just want to get your take on um, improved play for Marner and Tavares. Uh, they've looked better to my the last couple of games. It could be that they've played not great opponents. Uh, what have you made of the two seasons of two very important players to the Maple Leafs who obviously t- statistically are not where you would expect them to be right now? Yeah, I, for for Tavares, I think it's sometimes you know, it's like a, what's a one thing relies upon another. When you have the power on the on number one line, it's almost like it, it occupies a lot of the strategical kind of defense from from the opponent, and, and maybe offers Tavares an opportunity against uh, lesser lines. And so with Matthews coming back in, maybe there's there's been a little bit more attention paid to Tavares. So yeah, recently getting the the, the goal in the backhand in Chicago. Um, that's clearly is, is, uh, is a positive for me, Marner. I truly believe that he's still a young guy and, and I don't, and I know he's a professional and I know he gets paid well, all of that aside, he's human. He heard everything that got said in the playoffs. So imagine he trained through the off season with the intent to show everybody, you know, it's going to be different, but he's probably putting a level of pressure on himself because he's in the market that he's in to produce. And it just doesn't happen that way. You know, Toronto isn't at full strength. Like we said, sh- shooting 6.5% success rate on 5 on 5 Last year was 9%. I believe not just Marner, but the entire team will head back towards their norm, which is up around 9%. And, and with that will come his personal success. I think just time has to happen for a guy like this. I know Marner's numbers still stink when you look at them. But I, I, I think – But I, I watch close enough and just to – go back to their defensive woes. He is by far the most conscientious guy when it comes to being back and backing up people. Last few games, even more so. No, no, no. 
The year long? Four years. Here's the other thing. Yeah. Four years. He's the Here's best the guy. Thing. He's the most responsible defensively out of any forwards. The rest of them? I agree. Cheaters. Love it. I agree. But here's the thing. He's the, good, the good indicator for this guy is, in light of him not putting it up, he's not sulking. Right? You get a lot of guys that are, that are supposed to put points up, and it's not happening. They just kind of, their shoulders drop. Steve Eisenman evolved as a player. He was known as a scorer, and how he became better, when he got better at the all-round game, his entire team got better, they end up winning. I think in this time where he can work on something when the puck's not going in, his, his, his responsibility defensively and, and, and his entire game still being worked on is, is an endorsement and not an indictment on the guy, right? It's, it's an opportunity for him to, to, to evolve as a player in, in the face of adversity. And that's, that's the key to me. That's what I'm watching. I agree with you, Kipper. I think the guy is more responsible than most. Hey, how long would PJ stock last in a spelling bee contest? Well, he uses uh, P and J to, for his name. So I'm <laughs> saying not very long. That's all you need to know. Uh, Barely his parents couldn't go. spell either. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Wardo. Uh, thanks, guys. Aaron Ward. <laughs> That's really good. He's a pretty funny guy. It's the uh, the full name's probably like Philip Joseph, and it was just too much to handle. I don't even know what his handle is. Actually, he's French, isn't he? Is there any French going on there? Pierre? Be Pierre something? Let's Google this. Yes, I do believe you're right. So how – no training camp for Austin Matthews. Right. And he's one goal, one assist in six games. It just doesn't look right. Does not. It does not look right. You know what? That line, I haven't loved that line since, it, you know, I know they've won a couple games there with Bunting, uh, Nylander, and, and Matthews, but not a fan. Like, I could sit here and do the the huge praise thing for the Tavares-Marner-Kerfoot line, and maybe that's what fans would want to hear. But, like, that Nylander-Matthews-Bunting line, it hinges on Matthews driving it, does it not? And right now he's not driving much. How fast before Austin Matthews walks into Sheldon's mm. office and says, get 16 back on oh, my line. Now that he's cruising again. Give Are me you 16 kidding me? Back. Listen, I turned on my Sammy? mic. Sammy? I turned on my mic to say that. Sammy, yeah. you know. That's why I turned on the Sammy. mic to say it. I know. Sammy, there's a reason why I'm on this side of the glass. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I want you to know that. Okay? So uh... easy. So that, that... <laughs> but thank you for backing me up. No, it's true. And I, and I, I thought about it a couple times. I was like, "Wow, Marner's really you know out there tonight." You know, it's just a matter of time. And I like Bunting, but has he not had some moments lately where you're like, "Oh, that's he, why he was nine hundred thousand dollars." Oh, that's why he's played <laughs> under fifty games in the National Hockey League. Right. Great, great and, player, and not, but a, there a are moments. A good, serviceable player can come in, has a nose for the net, but there's a, way more th- than his contract. Th- there's, a, there's a lot of battles out there that he's not on the right side of. If he were two inches taller and 20 pounds heavier, whatever the numbers you want, if he yes. were just a bit bigger, it would be easier because he's competitive. He hounds it. He's just, but you know, he's just not a big physical guy. And it's as much as he plays. not quite Recent. helping being in a top six right now. Well, and what's harder too is like the, that role has been with Matthews, the puck getter. You're the guy who make, make sure that we have it, not them. Yeah. And so when you're the puck getter and you're just not quite heavy enough, like the shots for percentage, if you care about that shots, when, when the lines were on the ice, 
Last game, Spezzaline had 75% of the shots. Campline had 71%, 70% for Tavares. The Matthews line was below 50%. They were the one line that didn't quite roll over their opposition. They just haven't quite looked right as much as we know there's so much talent, as much as everyone loves bunting. It, it is the one line that when in this new shuffle, I'm like, but maybe they'll find it. Maybe they'll find it, but they haven't yet. I, I think that's a great point that you just said there. But when Matthews is at his absolute best, what we saw a lot of last season, and we can talk about the competition he put, we play, he played against, but it's when he's getting the puck in his own defensive zone, lifting a stick and starting it out in transition. Chugging through that new You know, zone. and he's got that head of steam, and he's finding guys in the wings, and he's going to the net, and he's finding it there. And I just haven't seen the same defensive work at the start of the And guess what? Defensive work's hard. And, like, it's, ah, you know, it's, it's really, you got to be in good shape. You got to be really on it so i think there's something to be said for him not having a training camp like we're in i mean what how many games has he played now six six yeah well you so, know who's not looked great this year elias petterson you know mm-hmm. who didn't look good he didn't have training camp either nylander his, the year he didn't have camp not great marner you know similar yeah. situation it's just mm-hmm. it, it is speaking to fast the game out there decent camp yeah it, it's it fast and if you're half step it back is. and i still saw for me the pace of play detroit was faster than toronto for me more youthful. They've got a spray. They've got some. They've got some pieces there in Detroit. I love. Like I was really that loving cider. that Raymond. cider. That Slider. defense. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't care about the pizza he coughed up the middle of the night uh, of the ice to Angville. Yeah. I mean, just the mere fact that he did that and still played great the rest of the game. Yeah. Oh, this guy's going to be a player. He's and, he's a Calder. And that Valeno that they called up because of Bertuzzi not being able to come was good and noticeable. Like was. he was he was involved a lot. So I think they got some good pieces there. They're not going to be down for long. How that, about, that worries me down there. So he gets called up from Grand Rapids and he drives to the rink with, with Steve I would, I would rather, Iserman. His, I would rather drive off a bridge than sit for four hours in a car with the GM of the team I played for. <laughs> I don't care if I was the best player in the team. That sounds awful. So here's my drive. Okay, I'm playing. We, we, we got an exhibition game against uh, Florida in Hamilton. 3 p.m. bus at Maple Leaf Gardens. Yeah. I get there. 3.01. Inexcusable. Bus gone. <laughs> Good. I'm happy to hear that. I'm playing and the bus is gone. I need a ride. Who drives me to Hamilton? Steve Eiserman? No. <laughs> Cliff Fletcher, my general manager? Oh. No. Carlton the Bear. <laughs> that right? was my ride. In full regalia? Was he wearing the I'm costume? like, I'm riding on the QEW to go play a <laughs> National Hockey League sanctioned game. And I'm with Carlton the Bear. Oh, you Does it got, that. That's it doesn't perfect, get though. any worse than that. No Steve Eiserman. <laughs> That's that's incredible. Like I'm with a bear. You know, if you're Valeno though, that's like a defining moment in your career. You hit it off with the guy. He likes you. Mm-hmm. Like he's how about, true. Hey, uh, how about the how do you do on Willie Nylander? Yeah. Oh man, he he had a he had goal a night. and an assist. He had a night. Uh, and Iserman's going. So, he goes in the office after. He's like, "So I was telling you, Steve. <laughs> yeah. See what I can do? Like, yeah. What I would just be picking his brain, asking him about stories, and telling. Like, you wouldn't be like, so you know, I think my role is really good coming off the half wall. I don't think you'd be telling talking about that four hour drive. What's I, the conversation like? I bet you there was a lot of silence. Silence. Yeah. I guess they they listened to a Michigan uh, football game. Is that what they did? Yeah. 
Oh, that's a lot of silence. That is a awesome. ton of silence. Honestly, I'm telling you, stick my head out the window, hit a stop sign when we're just, moving full speed, let me no, out. That's when the kid just looks at Stevie Y and says, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, that's the right move, but I'd be <laughs> panicking. <laughs> this is a crucial social moment for four hours. That's anxiety-provoking. Um, you know, a couple of things that we got to with um, with Wardo there, the, the Tavares-Marner bit there. What, what have you made of those two guys together? My quick thought on Tavares is he is, when he is good, he is under guys' sticks so competitively. He took a couple of penalties, maybe a little bit too aggressively, but it's like an engagement thing. You can see he's hounding the puck and he's in yeah. there and he's. But he also, he also got smoked. Doing that? Did, no. Did you watch Saturday night? I think it was uh, Rasmussen who hit him mm-hmm. and he went down and he was a little stunned. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Sammy, did you catch that? I did. And I also noticed. Like, and then was, he took a penalty, a, a, a same slashing penalty yeah, yeah. on him. But he was pissed. Yeah. And I wish he would be pissed a lot more. And I think it had something to do with the way he finished so strong in the game. But he just, he's one of those guys where he just doesn't show that part enough for me. Yeah. Well, and the problem is sometimes because he's not fast when he is hounding the puck, he ends up hooking on the hands and hooking, you know, that. but still, I'll take that version of him versus a non-competitive one. The, I would say the... The bigger point, though, would be about Mitch Marner. And this season, we he's been the topic of our show way too often for being not engaged or not good or not whatever you want to be. And he was, he's been wonderful. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't. Listen, I... I like, Kipper, he hasn't been good. Let's not pretend he's been good. No, he's not been good, but he has not been the major issue. If, if you include underperforming, then yes, I get that part. I get the numbers don't necessarily statistically say that but i i look at i look at this lineup and there's there's a lot of issues here i wouldn't necessarily put him at the top just need him driving a line that's that's such a huge part for me is you know well if him and matthews are together it's different but honest to god i think i think that that bumper position did not help didn't help and i think it just it, it messed with them a little bit and i think that uh it's he he needs a blank canvas he needs to create he needs to be allowed i liked wardo's point about being on the d side though he looks better because he's on both sides of the puck and he's he's engaged and involved like he looked so good the last two games at both ends yeah Um, and that's that's the guy that we know right well that's the guy they expect him to be anything less than that and you're disappointed this is actually going to be an epic duel of pathetic power plays coming up tomorrow night uh right now uh, Toronto operating at a 14.8% clip on the, on the man advantage Vegas, zero, zero percent. They do not have a goal what? on the power play this season. Well, this is according to the stats by stat, uh, sport logic. Let me have a quick, uh, confirmation here on the power play. Vegas is at 0%. They do not have a power play goal through eight games. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Wow. Imagine that was here. Oh my God thrown to the wolves no stone and you said uh, william carlson's out now yeah yeah broken foot by the way power plays worse than toronto's this season pittsburgh colorado vegas a couple of very good hockey teams i just mentioned also arizona and seattle montreal 
But so, yeah, anyway, it's going to be a great battle to see if someone can score a power play goal. Toronto has gone away from the Mitch Marner in the bumper position. We'll see if they find any more luck putting Marner back on the flank. Matthew's coming downhill, going back to the well on that and see what they can do. Uh, Muzzin was better. He was better. He had Brody with him for sure. I thought, but I the, thought th- there were times now I'm still watching Muzzin and he, he, I, I, I catch him flat footed a lot, Does which he's not, like he's, he's, he's not, he's <laughs> not a fast guy to begin with. Right. But there are times when he is, he's not moving. Yeah. He's unfortunately not a guy who can get up to speed quick enough to be flat footed. He's got to be ahead of his reads and everything like that. And I, let me ask you a question about Muzzin here, fellas. What do you and got? just back looking at that one game sample we have without him playing with Hall, did he look like he had a little weight off of his shoulders in terms of the way he was playing? Is that unfair? You think he's been carrying Hall the, the way to that's been a challenge? I don't know. He just, I think he looked a lot more willing to make, you know, some more aggressive reads with Brody as his partner. Did you see any of that? It's kind of what I noticed with him. I think he, I, in all honesty, I, I think he welcomed the change. For sure. So, yeah, to your point, but I don't know where you go now. I mean, well, two, two in a row without Hall, and we've got to build them back up because they're, they're really telling us that, you know, he might be really this sensitive guy. And if that's the case, then I'm not sure digging a, a, a bigger hole is the best thing for him. My concern is what if Muzzin and Brody become a pair, which is something that Keith said they've wanted to give this a run for a long time. They look back at last season. They said the reason they didn't give them a run was because they, they were having success with their top four. So if they do give it a run with Muzzin and Brody and they decide they love it, they have a new D pair, then what? Morgan Riley's whole career, the story has been you're here in Toronto. We got to get this guy a partner. It's Muzzin and Hainsey. It's Muzzin and CeCe. It's Muzzin, or sorry, I'm sorry. It's Riley and Hainsey. It's Riley and CeCe. You know, we need a partner for this guy. They finally get him one in Brody. If Brody's gone, it's right back to Riley and Dermot, or Riley and Lilligren, or you know, Riley and Hall. I liked Hainsey. Yeah, I liked Hainsey too. Yeah. Oh, he he brought something. He there. was he was a great fit here. He had Riley had his best season ever with him as his partner. He had presence on and off the ice for the Toronto Maple Leafs. The last few years, guys, even when we've looked at the that blue line, there, there's, been, had th- had a there's been suggestions that there's still a D man away here. If they aren't shopping right now as I speak for a de- another defenseman, I'd be shocked. There I, has to be. You can't get how do you add it? Well, Someone's you, gonna cost you, money. Yes, but that's that's what they're that's what they have to do right how to now. Figure out money they else. they I'm. I don't need 20 games. If I'm Kyle Dubas, I'm finding a way to add depth to that blue line right friggin' now. Is Ben Sherratt right-handed? He left. He's left-handed. That's too yeah. Much. That's too. I much. got this weird thing, man. I can remember like kids in Pee Wee if they shot right or left. You know what? I've played with people like you, and that is an actual condition. I don't. I am the opposite. I can't tell you your tape color, your handedness. I watch hockey for a living. Leafs. If you give me a quiz, I might yeah. struggle on handedness. Some people are Sammy, just different. You're a left-handed shot. Bingo. I know he is. I just they... look at him and I it's it's uh, shoulder positioning. What do you what do you got for me? <laughs> Derek, I'm, I don't think you've ever had a stick in your hand, have you? <laughs> 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 just kidding, Derek. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> All right, we got through it. Yeah. Nice Go. job, JB. You too, buddy. All right. 
Nick Kiprios, Derek Tech, and hockey extraordinaire. Sammy, with your left-handed shot, good job today. Thanks for listening. Real Kipper and Born, right back at you tomorrow. This is Sportsnet 590, The Fan.